Um, uh, good. Um, Mark, you know how when you said, do I need anything? And I said, no. I want, uh, yeah, sorry. I lied. Um, oh, it's nice to be with you. Hi. Does everyone know me here? Does anybody not know me? Okay, right. Um, I'm Bex. I used to come to this church many years ago. Um, well, six or seven years ago, actually. I've been away six years, seven years, six years, seven years. Uh, a little bit higher. Actually, I said to my, you know what? I said to my dad tonight, I said, I, I'm going to want uh, a music stand to hide behind. And he said, you're going to need about six of them, love. So, uh, <laughs> he, he did apologize and meant that the music stand was very thin. Does it? Yeah. All right. First things first. Um, let's, um, Chris, can we have that first video that says something about Lighthouse intro? Is that possible? Doable? Please. Thanks. Okay, good. It's got sound. Should have sound. <laughs> it does have sound. Well, you can read anyway. <laughs> Anybody illiterate here would like some help? <laughs> Should we give up? Do we, no, okay. Have patience, have patience. Don't be in such a hurry when you get impatient. You oh. Hello, Lighthouse Church. My name is Daida and my name is Peter. We come from Child of Hope Junior School. Thank you so much for everything you have done for us. We love you. Please keep visiting us and praying for us. And now you have to listen to Antifakes. So pay attention or she will be sad. No prompting whatsoever from me, of course. Um, yeah, so uh, as usual, African style, I bring greetings from um, Moses, um, who uh, we haven't had an argument. He's still in Uganda um, doing lots of hard work. So lots of greetings from all the guys at the school and, of course, also from the church, Lighthouse Church. Just to give you a little bit of an update, uh, the church is going really, really well. Um, we've got something along the lines of 112 adults coming along. Um, when I say adults, Mo um, sort of classes everyone above 11 years old as an adult. So uh, 112 adults and 120 kids. That's presumably the ones that are under 11. Um, so it, it's going really well. He just, uh, I was talking to him this afternoon. He had a lovely testimony, just a brief one. A young man who had been sent to Kampala to study for his A-levels 
um, and he'd had to come back because he'd been having chronic headaches so much so that he just wasn't able to study and, and he thought that was it. it, all of his opportunities had gone. Um, and he happened to wander into the church in Namatala, our church. He was prayed for. He's been coming for the last three weeks. But after that first week of being prayed for, no more headaches. And, um, and now he has hope. He has hope that he is going to be able to resume his studies and, uh, and move on. And uh, just like Andy was saying about this hope thing, it's so important, so important. Um, right. Um, as you may have noticed, there's a bit of an economic crisis, and um, there's, we know quite a, a lot of NGOs, that's charities in development speak, who are really struggling at the moment. They're having to scale back a lot of their projects and sort of dumb everything down a bit. Um, and can I just say that, just like Andy was saying about, you know, let's be the reverse of that. Um, that is what we are experiencing in Child of Hope. We are scaling up. Hallelujah. Is that good news? Uh, and things are going really well. Um, you might remember I was here a few months ago and um, we had to finish a floor of our building and we'd only had the ground floor done and uh, we needed something like 25,000 quid. It's just a horrible amount of money and um, I didn't know what was going to happen. So um, Chris, can you show that video that says something about building and we'll see if anything's happened. Yeah. So we're about, we're about, and in fact, um, yeah, praise God, thank you, God. Um, and in fact, we were with a guy on Friday who's going to give us the cash to finish that floor. So lovely jubbly, job done. You see, we are living in the favor of God. When everyone else is struggling, God says, no, my children are not going to struggle. You know, that, that, that's, yeah, <laughs> two down, one for go, one to go. Thanks, Sheila. <laughs> um, it's a good thing, isn't it? Um, I know that this month um, you guys are looking into sort of the presence of God. And um, I just wanted to have a, a little look at that with an emphasis on and how does poverty fit into that sort of thing. So, Chris, sorry, being a bit of a pain in the neck, but can we have the PowerPoint thing up? Is that doable? I'm a bit needy, aren't I? <laughs> we'll talk about that as well. <laughs> so let, uh, let's have a look at you. So the bog standard. Let me throw a few statistics at you to get us going. There are 2.2 billion children. Let's have the next slide. One billion is living in poverty. Every second child in this on this planet is living in poverty. That's according to the um, WHO. Next. Um, 
There are 1.9 in the developing world. One in three don't have a roof over their head. One in five can't get access to safe water. And one in seven can't get any medicines. Next slide. So in, in terms of trying to get water, of course, there's a bunch of people that don't have water tapped into the house. So that those who are having to try and find water, um, they are using around 20 litres a day. Okay. Here in the UK, the average person uses more than 50 litres just flushing the toilet. I find this hard to believe, but those are the statistics. All right. Average daily usage, 150 litres a day. That's what you guys are using. I'm not, of course. I don't live here. Um, and of course, good old US living, uh, leading the way with um, 600 litres per day they're getting through per person. Next, gross domestic product. I'm not big on economics, but 41 of the heavily indebted poor countries, uh, the GDP there is less than the wealth of the world's seven richest people. So we stood... Seven people here, the world's richest people, seven of them uh, have got more money than 41 countries. So we must be doing better than we were, surely. Surely you'd think. Let's have a look at the next slide. There we go. Um, less than 1% of the world's population controlled 25% of the world's financial assets in 2004. Less than 1%. Here we go. Long-term trends. In 1820, the distance between the richest and poorest countries was only 3 to 1. 1913, 11 to 1. 1950, 35 to 1. All the way down to 1992, 72 to 1. The gap between rich and poor is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Thanks, Chris. Um, and it's a lot about perceptions and what the world tells us, of course. Uh, I've been looking at the newspapers over here, which is always quite good for a laugh. Um, one of them was telling us that the top 10% of earners, you know, isn't it terrible, that, that huge taxation that they're, they're coming under and, and how Middle England is suffering. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was doing maths in school, the top 10% didn't account for the middle. And yet that's what the papers are telling us. Middle should be middle. Top 10% is not middle. So the wealthiest are being told that they're poor or are perceiving that they're poor. It's kind of strange, isn't it? Just as a side note, I also read that our middle age now doesn't start until we're in our 60s. So uh, <laughs> all of you uh, hoping to get to 120 years old, if you're 60, you're in the, in the middle, you're allowed to have a midlife crisis. Um, but that, doesn't it? It seemed like um, some of us in the West are kind of living a little bit in denial here <laughs> about what, what is real, you know. Why, will you not behave over there, honestly? These old people. Uh, sorry, middle-aged people. <laughs> Here's another thing I've discovered since I've come back. Um, Tesco's have removed their blue and white value brand. Why? Because people are too proud to buy it. They don't want to appear to be poor. They don't want to appear to be looking for a bargain. How did that happen? I know. But apparently, now, now we've got everyday value. That's different to the blue and white brand. Um, I also was looking in a magazine, like one of these women's mags. It's always a bit of a laugh for me because I get my clothes from charity shops these days. But anyway, um, 
there was this lovely picture, you know, you get, you've got your jumper, you've got your skirt, you've got your boots, you've got your accessories, and it's telling you, you know, this is the latest thing to wear, and, you know, so on and so on. So there's a pair of earrings there, very nice little dangly things, they're great, and the little caption underneath was saying how it was fantastic, because you'd wear them in the day, and you could also wear them in the evening. Handy. Very reasonably priced at £135. This is the media telling us that it's reasonable to pay 135 quid for a pair of earrings. We are being told, you, I'm not, because I don't live here, (laughs) you guys are being bombarded with this absolute nonsense. And if you are told this stuff time and time and time again, you're going to start to believe in. We have this sort of competition thing, isn't it? You know, if you haven't got the latest, what are we on now, iPhone 5? Is it 5? So if you're on iPhone 4, sorry, love, don't do it anymore, does it? So there's this competition to try and get to where we're going. I've got a nice little story about competition. Want to hear it? Okay, then. So when I was about 10, which was a few years ago, I was at primary school, okay? And we had this thing where we had to learn our multiplication tables. Anyone remember doing that? And all the way up to 12, 12 times 12, 100 and something... That's the one, 144. I did know at the time. So at the end of learning all of our times table, you got one a week. At the end, we were having this big test, okay, all of them all together, right? And uh, I'd really clued up for this. I really, I, I was keen. I was quite good at school, wasn't I, Mum? I was, I was. I worked hard, I think. I worked quite hard in comparison to my sister. <laughs> um, and... Uh, <laughs> Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Sheila. It's funny you should mention that. So we have this test. There's 100 questions on our multiplication table. And um, I'd worked very hard for it. And, and so we do this test. Um, and at the end, slightly disappointingly, the teacher says, swap papers with someone else and you can mark someone else's, which kind of devalued it a bit in my eyes. I wanted it to be marked by a teacher. But anyway, so we swap papers. We marked each other's. And I got mine back, right? And I'd got, guess, I got 99, 99 out of 100. And I was, thanks, Phil. Brilliant. (laughs) I was really chuffed with this. Okay. And then the teacher says, right, we'll see how everyone's done. What we'll do, everyone put up your hands and uh, we'll we'll keep going up. And and we'll, you know, as we get higher, if you haven't got that score, you put your hand down. Okay. So she says, um, keep your hand up if you got more than 50 correct. So I'm like, you know, keen. And and most of the hands are still up. Keep your hand up if you've got more than 70, correct? And there's, you know, a few hands have gone down by now. There's about, only maybe about 15 hands still up. And I'm feeling pretty chuffed with myself. Now, bear in mind, there isn't Carolyn McGill here, is there? (laughs) There was a, a girl in my class. Her name was, probably still is, could be Carolyn McGill. Now, this girl was smart. I mean, really. She was out there, man. And I just really wanted to beat Carolyn McGill. So we're going up. Now we're at, you know, keep your hand up if you've got more than 90. And there's now only about five of us with our hands up now. But I'm confident because I got 99 for goodness sake. 99. 95. It's just three of us left. Me, Carolyn and some other girl I don't even remember. 98. Me and Carolyn are still there and I'm like, come on. Come on, I've got 99. This is my chance. Come on. Keep your hand up if you've got 99. Come on, I'm, got, I'm looking at her out the side of my corner of my eye, you know, like you do. 
keep your hand up if you got 100, if you've got all the questions right. I was like, Carolyn. <laughs> Man, I have to tell you, that was a very disappointing day. Mum came and picked me up in the car, like she did every day, and she knew I had a test. So uh, I got in the car, and by this time, there's tears, you know, tears coming down my face. And she's like, what happened? Was it, was it a really hard test? Did, did you do really badly? Did, did you forget the answers? What's the issue? How, how much did you get? So I said, 99. And so she's like, was that 99? You got 99 out of 100 grand? Yes. And she said, why are you crying? So some of you know my mother, so you'll understand why I got um, short shrift for that. (laughs) Get get some perspective in your life, Bex. You got 99 correct. What's your problem? We have so much stuff. What's our problem? I'm I'm not devaluing the economic crisis and the impact it's having on people. Please hear my heart. I I know that there are people that are struggling. But I think anybody that's actually visited where I work in the slum would find it very hard to call themselves poor, having seen those people. Would I be right, Sheila? Heather? Bry? Yeah. Tricky, isn't it? That's the problem with competition. We need to get some perspective in our lives. Um, Chris, there's another slide. Did any of you ever do like some awful those management courses you have to do? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You remember this? Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, those of you that have had the joy of not going on a management course, this is what you will learn, Maslow's hierarchy. And um, basically, here we have at the bottom here. This is all our basic needs, like breathing, <laughs> having enough food, having a roof over our head, having some clothes, and so on, and um, security. Then we go up. So if you've got that, you're, you're all right. And then you go up, and, and now we're looking at things like, well, okay, I've got, I've got my food, I've got my water, but now I'd quite like to be healthy. I'd like to own a bit of property. I want a family and so on. And up we go. When we've got that, we can then start to whinge and moan about how many friends we've got and family and so on. And the higher up we go, now, now I want to be confident. I need self-esteem. And finally, something called self-actualization, spelt with a Z, thank you, America, um, spontaneity, acceptance, experiencing purpose in our life. So this is the idea that um, Maslow had, was that basically um, once we've got these lower things and we start to want all of these other things upstairs, as it were. Um, the problem is, of course, is that there's a bunch of people who are actually up here who are being told and who are perceiving that they are down here. So are still living in the, in the grabbing what I can for myself. This is why there's an awful lot of corruption in Africa and some other places as well, perhaps even in England, people's perceptions about themselves are still that they need to grab, grab, grab for themselves. And yet, yet they're way up there. Um, dictionary definition of poverty is the, is the state of being extremely poor. Here's an interesting thing. When I look up poor in the dictionary, it just tells me being depressed in mind or circumstance. So now we can see that actually poverty is not so much to do with what's in our pockets. It's about what's going on up here. Yeah? So trying to get rid of poverty in the world, which is what people like me are trying to do, um, is, it's not just a simple fact of throwing money 
around. That doesn't work. Um, here's an interesting quote from a guy called Andrew Natsios, who's been working for USAID and other, you know, the big boys of development. And he says that those development programs that are most precisely and e easily measured are the least transformational. And those programs that are the most transformational are the least measurable. In other words, you know, your, your bog standard tick boxes don't work when it comes to development in, in terms of to tra transform people. Why is that? Why? It's not, it's not an easy job. Um, everyone know who Bill Gates is? <laughs> I have no problem with Bill Gates. I think he's a nice guy. Um, so he's been trying to eradicate poverty for a while now. Um, and, and his big push has been about trying to combat malaria, um, which is killing very many people still. Okay, so five years and after spending half a billion US dollars, this was his comment, I thought some of our ideas would be saving lives by now. We were naive. In other words, it ain't working. You think just some stupid little mosquito with a little parasite running around. How can we not sort that out? But we can't. Because poverty, development is not, is not a simple thing. Why? Because it's about people. And we are highly complex people. We are made by an awesome God. And we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Some of us are a bit more fearful than others. Um, but we are, we are highly, highly complicated. Um, let me give you an example. I used to work at um, Victoria School. Is Julie here? You still work at Victoria School? Huh? So it's a while since I worked there. Victoria School is a special needs school, okay? So these children have physical uh, problems with their bodies. So the, the children would come in to be helped, and yet having people like physios and um, consultant orthopods and, and all of those kind of people coming in, it's not enough to help these kids. That's what I figured out. It, it doesn't work. So you have to bring in something else. You, you have to start bringing in people like welfare workers, social workers and that type, and counsellors, speech therapists, nurses, all, all kinds of people coming in because that, just that one physical disability has a massive impact on the rest of the person. And in fact, it stood me in good stead for working in Namantala slum in Child of Hope, because although all but one of our kids are not physically disabled, they are economically disabled. And that means that just being economically disabled impacts the whole person. They are then have physical problems in terms of their health. They can't pay for their health care anymore. They have problems with self-esteem, with their emotions, with who they are. All of these things, they have problems at home. They need social workers too. Just, just having one thing go wrong in our life impacts the rest of us. So we are extremely, extremely complicated. There's another little slide here. So development um, is a tricky business and some great minds. I think you're like, oh, there was Bill Gates. Look, I forgot about that slide. God bless him. Superhero. Keep going, Bill. <laughs> yeah, next one. The more, the more I think, the more confused I get. Development is a very, very confusing business. Where are we going with this? So let's look at something that's going to encourage us rather than all that discouragement that I told you about. 
which is this, God's word. Um, all of these people, all of these great minds, throwing an awful lot of money into development and, and things are getting worse. It's all rather discouraging. But we do know one thing, and that is in God's presence, there is no poverty. Amen? There is no poverty in the kingdom of God whatsoever. Whichever poverty we're looking at here, by the way, whether it's the pocket, the mind, the spirit, the heart, there is no poverty there. So there are apparently, I looked this up from Google, might be wrong, over 300 verses about poor and and about social justice in the Bible. Uh, Let's have a look at that next slide. Apparently, that's not one of them. Um, the, um, one of the first things that Jesus concentrated on, one of the first things he said, actually, when he entered into his ministry, when he was on this planet, was in Luke 4:18. Did you bring your Bibles? Are you going to use them? Ah, great. Luke 4:18. it's really, really well-known few verses there. Um, All right, Luke, it's in the New Testament. Third Gospel. Before John. Um, Luke 4.18 says, In my version, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He then, in my mind, goes on to describe who the poor are. Okay? He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. Those people who are bound up with all the rubbish that stops us from being everything that we can be. Not just those who are in prison. Captives will be released. That the blind will see. Put a pin in that one a minute. And the oppressed will be set free the time of the lord's favor has come so jesus is saying for those people that are bound up those people that are pushed down and those people who don't know what they are who they are or what even their problem is those people who are blind i am here to fix you god's favor is available to you right now the time has come grab it i think it's interesting actually if you go to matthew Verse 23, Matthew chapter 23, sorry, Matthew chapter 23, I had a stroke, come on, be kind. (laughs) Matthew chapter 23, this is actually one of the last things Jesus says before he is uh, going into the whole um, crucifixion scenario, before we have the last supper and so on. So we've had the first thing is, is God saying, I'm here to help the poor. One of the last things is, is his time when he's talking to the Pharisees. And um, some would say having a real go at them, ripping them off a bit of a strip, you know. But actually, if you look through some of the verses, verse 16, it says, blind guides, what sorrow awaits you. But who did Jesus come to help? Those who are blind Verse 17, blind fools. Uh, Verse 19 says, how blind. 
says, blind guides again. Verse 26, uh, you blind Pharisee. Jesus came to help everybody, and he was really concerned with those people who had, couldn't see. We're not just talking about those who were physically unable to see, but those who were spiritually unable to see. He was just as concerned with them and, and considered them in, in the same pack as those who are in poverty or in the pocket. Amazing, isn't it? He might have spoken perhaps a little bit, what seems like a bit, little bit more harshly, but nevertheless it was on his heart. I've got to get these people fixed. They're not seeing things as they should do. So, um, in fact, you can just go through just about the whole Bible, right, from the Torah epistles, the whole lot. Um, it's talking about how we should be helping the poor. Um, and uh, it's not hard to understand. It's all clear to us we should help the poor, but it is quite tricky to do, isn't it, as we've seen from what the rest of the world is doing. Um, there's a couple of nice nuggets in Deuteronomy, if you fancy going there. Deuteronomy chapter 15, in verse 4, the Lord is saying, there should be no poor amongst you. He's talking to the Israelites. He's talking to the church, if you want to put it in modern day times. There shouldn't be any poor amongst you. We're supposed to be looking after each other. <laughs> but just about four verses later, I think, verse 10, 11, there will always be poor in the land. So in other words, hey, guys, you're the church. There shouldn't be any poor amongst you. You need to figure this out. Poor, and here we could be talking about poverty in our mind poverty in our hearts there shouldn't be any poor amongst us why because there's always going to be poor in the land as people not in the church and they are needing our help yeah i like that one <laughs> okay let's i'm going to miss out a few here but let's go to what time is it how are we doing oh dear <gasps> matthew 25 jump back in again to the gospels um, Matthew 25, around about verse 31. You remember when um, this is a whole scenario uh, when it's talking about um, Jesus is talking. He says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. And then he's talking about sheep and goats. You remember that bit? And of course, when, when Jesus is talking about the son of man, he's talking about himself. Right. Are we together? Good. All right, so then um, there's this whole thing that goes on, verse 35. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick, you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the righteous one said, when, when did we ever do that for you, Jesus? And uh, Jesus says, when you did it for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. And of course, in reality, Jesus did experience all of those things. He experienced extreme hunger and thirst, 40 days in the wilderness. He experienced um, being sick in, in terms of when he was whipped and beaten. He, he experienced being naked. He had his clothes taken from him. So he knows what it felt like to be there. And uh, he's saying, this is personal for me now. This is personal. I know what it means to be in that place. And you guys, you've got to be helping these people. You've got to be in a position to be able to help. 
Can you imagine? I mean, it gets even worse later on because that's the nice bit. That's like, oh, we helped you, Jesus. How lovely. Didn't even know I was doing it. But then later on, it goes on to, you didn't help me. You didn't help me. Verse 44. When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked, yada, yada, yada? And then he says, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, you were refusing to help me. Holy moly, that's serious, isn't it? I find that quite scary. And this is one of the one of the last major things that he's talking about before he goes to the cross. So where does the presence of God fit into the, all of this? Like I said, there is absolutely no poverty in the presence of God. So if we are going to be able to help the poor, I'm not just talking about little kids in Africa because that's not particularly sensible for you guys living in <laughs> pool in Dorset. But if we're to help those who are having poor in, in their minds and in their hearts and so on, we have it's our responsibility to get ourselves fixed up such that we can help those that are out there. Deuteronomy, there's not going to be any poor amongst you. Why? Because there are poor in the land. I want you to be doing this stuff. I want to empower you to do this. This is going to be fun. This is going to be great. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to be able to go out there and bring a life where there is death. You're going to bring abundance where before there has been a lack. Isn't that fantastic? But from this, and I, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to anybody here. Trust me on this. Just because I, I work in Africa, I don't mean to say I've got it all figured out and I'm going around like some really holy person giving out to everybody I see. I'm not. You know, I have awful moments when I miss it. You know, there's tons of people coming to me all the time looking for help. And I normally just have this stock phrase of, you know, go to the office uh, and see someone there because it's just overwhelming. And then there are times when I go home at night and I lie in my bed and I think about that one person and I think, oh, crap, I should have helped that one. I missed it. I wasn't in tune enough with you, God, for that one. So I'm talking to myself as much as anyone. Um, I've got this little stock phrase. The only need we need is the need for God. And all other need is neediness. Shall I say that again? The only need we need is the need for God. All other need is neediness. You all know what a needy person is like, right? Have you ever met them? You know, those people, that don't matter how you help them, they're always, they're always moaning, always whinging. There's always something, isn't there? They're like clingy and they're, is it high maintenance, you know? <laughs> Not the easiest people to be around. Don't get me wrong, we all have genuine needs at certain times in our life, but there are some people that it's just it's never ending, isn't it, you know? Whatever need we have, God can provide it. He can. If we are sick, he can heal us. I don't know why he doesn't sometimes, but I know that in here, in this book, it says he will. So that's good enough for me. God says he's our provider. If we need something providing, he's going to provide it. Sometimes he does it in extraordinary ways. (laughs) Sometimes it feels a bit last minute, but he will provide it. Why? Because it says so in here. And there are plenty of people that have experienced it. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, including me. Everything we need can come from God. All other needs. If we're looking for 
to have our other needs fulfilled where some, from somewhere else, then we're always going to be disappointed. Always. Aren't we? You know, uh, people who get married and, and because they're so they're so desperate to be with someone and then when they're finally with that person the relationship just doesn't work because that person's never going to be enough for them never because they didn't actually need to be married they needed to know jesus and to be in that fantastic relationship with him don't get me wrong there's no problem with wanting to be married i wanted to be married it's fine but if you're like if it's if it's half killing you that you're not married then there's a problem amen I was like, mm, mm. I'm not sure this is starting to hurt a bit, Bex. This is getting a bit serious. <sighs> and the problem sometimes is that um, actually there might be people around us who are needy. And actually we start to feel a little bit powerful when we're able to help them. And then we start looking for people to help. Do you know what I'm talking about? We have a need, so we start trying to fulfill everybody else's needs. Have you ever seen that? I'll give you an extreme uh, example. You, know, you hear about these shut-ins? You know, people who um, end up enormously fat and they're shut in their bedrooms and they've got these sort of feeder people who come in and, and feed them and give them everything they want. But why? Because they want to feel powerful. They want to have power over that person. That's their need to feel powerful. So we've got to be he- even careful when we're helping people, when we're even fulfilling people's needs. It's complicated, isn't it? Phew-y. I think... Poverty is a result of relationships that don't work, actually. Did you get that? Poverty is a result of relationships that don't work. Either our relationship with God isn't working, that's the primary reason, or a relationship within ourselves, how we think of ourselves, isn't working. Relationship with other people or even with the planet isn't working. That's how poverty arises. But God says, in my presence, there is no poverty I have everything you need. We must be in his presence. There's no competition in his presence. You know, you know, in Hebrew, is it Hebrews 11? You've got the sort of hall of fame of all of these great faith men and women. But there's never any competition, is there? They're just set up as role models. It's like this is what you can aspire to be. Presence of God has everything that we need. And we have an absolute duty to make sure as Christians that we are in his presence all the time. Why? Because the world needs us to be. The world needs us to be in his presence so that we are, we are like a portal to the kingdom of God. You know, we're like, you know, wherever we're walking, we're bringing the kingdom of God with us. I wish, you know, I'd love to be that person. I'm not there yet, but that's well, in my mind. That's what I want to be. You know, this portal to the kingdom of God. You know, when you're walking past someone, your shadow's healing people and stuff. How awesome is that? That's our challenge. That's what God is saying. That's available to us. You just need to be in my presence and carry my presence all the time, wherever you're going. Can we do it? You know, if we really value something. You know, good example. Last year, we had elections in Uganda. it was a little bit hairy. We had some uh, tear gas and some riots in town and so on, and we were a little bit on alert that we might have to leave the country. Let me tell you, my passport travelled everywhere with me. <laughs> I would not let my passport out of sight at that moment because it was that important to me. How important is it to us to carry the presence of God with us all the time? At any moment, we're going to come across someone who is in some form of poverty 
And God can use us and bring the kingdom of God in that very moment and heal up that poverty. It's not an optional extra, his presence. It's an absolute necessity. We've got to get in his presence. I'm talking to myself, remember? We've got to start living like wealthy people. You know? (laughs) It doesn't matter how much is in your bank balance. Don't think about your credit card bills. We've got to start living like we're wealthy people in terms of what God has given us. Yeah? We're children of the king. We've got everything we need. Wow, I need to hear this. (laughs) So, shall we try and do it? Shall we, as a family, try and be everything that we can be, try and shake off this poverty that the world is trying to put upon us, actually? And remember at all times that we are children of the king. We have everything we need. We are not poor. We are wealthy beyond our wildest dreams. And we can bring that wealth to those that are around us. Amen. That's about all I had to say, really. Is that all right? don't know what to do now what should we do now yes let's shall we stand up because well if you don't feel like being prayed for don't stand up (laughs) if you're happy and you're needing us keep sitting down (laughs) yeah father we just thank you so much that you are everything we need lord We thank you so much. You are everything we need. Every single challenge, every single problem, every tiny thought, all of that stuff. God, you are everything that we need and we can come to you. And Father, we apologize. We say sorry. We repent of the times when we've looked for the fulfillment of our needs in other places, Lord. We're sorry, God. Father, we don't want to be needy people anymore other than having the need for you. Father, we just <laughs> teach us how to be in your presence 24-7. I don't, I don't know how to do that, Lord. I know I can achieve it on a Sunday morning or can achieve it when I put the earphones in and listen to the worship music. How do I do it 24-7? Lord, teach us how we can be portals into the kingdom of God such that the people around us get released from their poverty. Holy Spirit, come right now into our hearts. Touch those places where the poverty exists. Show us, Lord. Make us aware of our poor thinking. And heal us up, Father, right now. Heal us up. Lord, I want to be that person that can break the poverty over other people's lives. Jesus, I want to work with you, Lord. Make it possible, Jesus. Make it possible. We just pray more of you in our lives, Lord. More of you. Just soak us, God. Every minute of every day, just keep reminding us of who you are and who we are in your presence. Jesus, we love you, Lord.
Encourage us, Father. Encourage us. Get us excited about seeing what we can achieve. Give us great testimonies, Lord, so that your name is glorified. Yeah. We love you and praise you, Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen.